Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. Whatever time of day it might be that you are listening to this podcast, The Leadership Connection, I'm your host, Doug Plucknett, and today I have a very special guest, John Reeve. I've known John for uh, a, a number of years. We've at first communicated back and forth on LinkedIn on a number of topics about CMS and C, excuse me, CMMS, Computerized Maintenance Management Systems. And I, as John knows, I had some pretty strong opinions about him. And there were a couple of times when he said, hey, come on, Doug, you need to, you know, chill out a little bit on this. You know, people, the CMMS isn't all bad. You know, we just got to get people to understand why they have it and, and what it's used for. And so I've learned a, a number of things from John through the years and recommend him to uh, customers that I've had uh, going along to say, hey, if you need somebody to get in there and help straighten out some of the issues you're having with uh, planning, scheduling, using your CMS, organizing, kidding, those types of things. John is a guy that has real life experience. Lots of folks talk about these things that uh, haven't had the experience and, and opportunities that John has had through the years. And he is really a great resource when it comes to how to best use those things. So there I go and and kind of somewhat introduce John, but I would like to give him the opportunity to introduce himself and uh, tell the listeners a little bit about your background, John. How's it going today, by the way? Well, well, good. It's uh, we've got the sun rising and uh, it's a, a fine morning here in uh, Washington State. Well, hey, Doug, you hit the nail on the head. Um, the, the issue is there's two worlds. Uh, there's the CMMS practitioners, and then there's the reliability professionals like yourself and many others. They are struggling to communicate. Maybe they don't know they're struggling, but they are. I mean, you could implement or install a system, uh, CMMS product, um, and that project team fails to invite the reliability engineer. Well, what the heck is going on here? Um, so anyway, about uh, my background quickly, um, I've got a, a long consulting career, you know, over three decades. Um, uh, started out, though, uh, out of high school, a Vietnam era veteran, U.S. Navy uh, nuclear subs. And my first that enabled me to get my first uh, meaningful job, which was at a nuclear power plant, uh, Grand Gulf, there as a plant scheduler. Come to think about that, you know, I think they were really hiring. They wanted a the job description was a planner, but um, I ended up being a plant scheduler. Um, the software, now this is back in the mainframe days. This is before PCs were invented. And the mm -hmm. software was uh, a scheduling software um, by, a, by a company out of Cambridge, Massachusetts called PSDI. And then uh, over time, um, well, after about seven, eight years there at the nuclear plant, I was offered the a job by PSDI as a scheduling consultant. Well, over time, the, the mainframe died and uh, they had to reinvent themselves. And that is the company that actually created Maximo. So uh, okay. yeah, uh, three decades of travel, uh, international assignments included um, from Australia to the China, South Korea, UK, uh, um, and so on and so forth. So what makes my background unique to sum it up? is the combined knowledge in both scheduling, all forms of scheduling, uh, outage shutdown daily, weekly, and, uh, and now the asset reliability doctrine that um, I learned a lot from yourself. Well, thank you. So um, 
in getting involved with this, uh, this is one of the, the arguments that, that goes on with uh, people quite regularly. Here you got hired, they told you the job was a planner job, and you end up being a scheduler. And that's one of the first mistakes I think most companies make is they see that as one job. Uh, the planner and the scheduler, and, and uh, it makes that job quite miserable for that person because here they think things are going to get done on in this order and on this day. And then when it comes down to the real life piece of that, they end up spending a lot of their time juggling these balls, trying to make all this stuff happen, right? Um, and that makes them worse as a planner and worse as a scheduler because they're trying to do too many things at one time. Um that's my opinion. Um, I'm, I'm not sure what yours is on that. Are you, would you agree with that statement? Uh, uh, yes. Now, the, the size of the company uh, does play a role here. So uh, yes, imagine yes. a very small company. Um, they, they might not have any planner scheduler. Uh, or the next step up now, it's a, a small midsize, if that word, the combination exists, a small midsize. Um, let's see if I've got an example here. Well, I've got a, um, there's a company in Portland, uh, Oregon that makes a, a, a sort of like a Swiss army knife and um, uh, they, they don't have any uh, planner schedulers, but they could, or should, let's say they should. In that case, they just don't realize what the value is. Um, and then you get into the mid to large size. Large size, there's no excuse. I mean, uh, an outage a nuclear power plant that goes through outages and, of course, has weekly schedules. Um, uh, they definitely need the positions and they need to have clear job descriptions and be doing what they should be doing. Interesting stuff. I can tell you in my career, uh, when I first became a, a lead man or a lead person, uh, that was really part of the function of my job was when we had annual inspections, say, of our boilers, which heated uh, some of the reactors that were in my area, right? My job would be to put together a critical path plan on how to execute that that shutdown and who was going to be doing what job, right? And then it was the planner's job to say, all right, I'm going to make sure I get the material. I'm going to put it a kit together so that when it's time to change this or that, we have the right gaskets, the right hardware, uh, or components, whatever need to be replaced, right? And that step, just doing that transition there made it much more effective, right? But years down the road, it became, well, you're tying up your lead person with this, you know, scheduling job. Why don't you just have a scheduler? Uh, and obviously that made things even more efficient. So looking at your career, when would you say you were first recognized as a leader uh, was it a specific project or company? Um, if you could tell the audience that. Well, um, that that's a, a, a strong statement. I'm recognized as a leader. You know, I just, I do what I do. Um, as a consultant, you are expected to get up in front of people. Uh, right. So you, you better know, you better have some knowledge to draw on. I mean, you need to be able to tell stories that back up the, the concepts and theories that you're presenting. Um, again, as a, as a consultant, um, I was at the, a nuclear power plant for a, a long-term engagement up there in Northern Illinois. And um, I, 
I had learned uh, a variety of software tools at that point in my career. So one was COBOL, believe it or not. I was able to teach myself COBOL. And then the, the computer screens were still mainframe. The, the screens were what they call green on green. So it was, yeah, uh, yeah or white on green, whatever. And, um, and so I, I used this COBOL program to interface with the scheduling software. Nobody had done this before. Even the vendor had not thought about it. And what's the advantage of that? Um, well, you've got a in, a, in a scheduling group at a nuclear power plant, there is a senior reactor operator. Uh, he's, uh, he's on loan from the operations department. He's not really a planner or scheduler. Um, but what's his role there? Well, his role is to review the uh, outage schedule, the critical path, and the milestones leading up to it. Uh, and, and so the schedulers would produce this uh, very complex-looking graphical PERT chart, I call it, little boxes and lines tying the activities together. And it's real tough for that guy to uh, figure out if the critical path is valid. So um, long story short, I developed this uh, backwards tracing tool that uh, showed the critical path um, portions of it at a time on the screen. And uh, you could uh, click and walk backwards to find out if there were uh, invalid activities. Uh, and that helped them a lot. And it, um, they liked it so much that the program spread across uh to the other four or five plants um, uh, overnight, essentially. So from that, I guess you could say, well, I must have done something good. Um, <laughs> moving on, uh, as a, uh, a consultant still, I work for a, a, a small company, uh, few know the name, uh, Centerprise Solutions there in Chattanooga, Tennessee. And uh, I had this idea for a weekly maintenance schedule, um, which is automated. And uh, so the owner of the company said, you know what, this idea is fairly unique and uh, let's apply for a patent. And a year later, sure enough, we got a patent on that thing. Um, it's using a, what I call an order of fire. Weekly schedule is, as you know, should be an industry best practice. But I'm here to tell you, the majority of organizations out there in the industry, asset intensive industries do not have a weekly maintenance schedule. Now, if they do, it's what I call a subjective analysis. So the supervisor and, the, and perhaps the planners and the operations uh, shift lead will, will get together in a, one day of the week and they'll, you know, you've got a backlog of 500 work orders and they'll just sort of wing it. And they'll say, well, I think uh, we wanna do this, we wanna do that, so on and so forth. And so it's a subjective selection. Well, um, using automation, uh, I wrote a, wrote a resource leveling program that will uh, rank the backlog and, and uh, deduct the estimates from the availability and but a bing but a boom in a matter of seconds you can have a weekly maintenance schedule. Now you still have the Friday Thursday or Friday meeting and they can uh, tweak it but um, by having that automation you save a lot of effort. Uh, the last thing I would say is um, uh, this is where I met you, attending the Reliability Web Conferences. Um, uh, I met a lot of great people, and uh, I was asked to uh, co-author a book with uh, Derek Burley uh, called Failure Modes to Failure Codes. And um, yeah, not everyone gets to write a book. I mean, you, you got to have a subject that's worthwhile sharing to begin with. 
um, yeah, a lot of LinkedIn posts and uh, I've accumulated quite a teaching library. I'm mostly retired now, but um, I still find myself um, adding to that library. So that's where I am. Thanks for that question. Yes. Um, so thinking about your career, and uh, we've had a couple of common customers, and one of the comments that I constantly get back from them is, Sean is one of those guys that uh, he knows how to put a picture together and organize it and show step-by-step step how things are supposed to do. And I have to admit, every time you post something on LinkedIn, I'm here on the Zoom feature trying to look at, all right, what's John got going on here in this flow diagram that he's made? You're quite an artist that way. Um, but it makes sense to people, right? And that's really what this big stepping stone is that people struggle with in terms of how to properly use thing and why it's there and why you need to do each step. You're very good at making that visual for people so they understand what's the proper order. Um, I had a question that I wanted to ask about that, but uh, realistically, what it comes down to, I'm trying to just give you a good pat on the back to say, uh, this community needs more folks like you, folks that are able to do that and, and make that connection for people. Uh, when you work with customers, you do. Do you see that light bulb come on? I mean, that's one of the things that the thrills that I get out of RCM. It's not always on the first day. Sometimes it's not on the second day. But all of a sudden, you do something up on the board and you turn around and people are like, oh, wow, now I know where we're at. Well, yeah, uh, obviously, you know the term industry best practices. What's yeah. the opposite of that? <laughs> so, <laughs> so uh, quite frankly, uh, and this is a sensitive topic, I see more bad practices than good practices. Um, and so I make note of that. And like a recurring failure, when you see recurring bad practice, I make, I start to uh, gather thoughts in my head, well, how the heck could we prevent that? And so we just need to uh, explain it better, uh, maybe put a graphic together you know, I start out with these graphics in my head and I, I connect two boxes. And the next thing I know, I've got uh, an hour, two hours later, I've got a full page worth of boxes and lines connecting and so on. I, um, it takes a lot of time to build that graphic and, and then I, I turn it into a, a post picture. Um, yeah, yeah, they're busy, but uh, my thought is um, if a user found this topic of interest, he could uh, go to a large bed plotter at the FedEx or whatever and plot that out and put it on their wall or hallway at, at work. And then you study it sort of like you would a collage. I mean, you have to study it and take it in and think about it. So uh, yeah, um, th that's uh, good practices and bad practices. And that's my takeaway there. Very good. So in your career, um, is there someone that you looked up to as a mentor or somebody that uh, made a difference for you? And, and I, I always put that, you know, it's this is not a singular thing. If there's two or three, go ahead and name them. Um, well, well, certainly. Um, uh, again, because you travel to so many sites, you meet many people. Um, so there's uh, many leaders as clients who, who leave a lasting impression. 
But what really opened it up for me was when I was uh, allowed at, uh, by the consulting firm that I worked for to attend a conference um, uh, by Reliability Web. And uh, Terrence O'Hanlon runs those things. And um, he's not only running conferences, but he um, has a, a library of books that he uh, uh, publishes. And then the, the backbone of everything he has there is what they call the uptime elements. Uh, that's the asset management system and his uh, viewpoint. And of course, he offers a, a accreditation uh, on for what's certified reliability leader and uh, certified maintenance manager. Um, so when I attended those conferences, I uh, because he brought in so many excellent individuals on the variety of topics. Uh, that's where I uh, learned the most. When I look back at my entire career, I think I learned the most on topics I should have known. Imagine if I had that knowledge day one as a software techie. Wow, I could have made a real difference, <laughs> but I didn't. And uh, so I didn't really acquire this knowledge until the last 12 or 15 years of my 32-year uh, 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 consulting career. Um, of course, you're, you're at the top of the list there, Douglas. Um, when I heard about RCM analysis, I mean, I didn't had no idea what that was. A lot, hey, I'll tell you this, uh, the word RCM, Many people stop right there. They don't know that there's analysis. They just say, well, that rely means reliability centered maintenance. And that means whatever it means. So, um, but, but it's really the analysis that defines that, those two words. So uh, I read, uh, studying for this, uh, the certification, I read the RCM Blitz. Um, um, and that's where I noticed there was this uh, failure mode. Now there's, you could do a word search on the internet and search for failure mode and all these other books come back and authors uh, and they say whatever they say. But again, now I'm a techie. Uh, how do I put that into uh, the CMMS where I can select and sort? And when once you identify the three-part failure mode, that made obvious sense, for me, sense to me. And so I looked around and I thought for a moment and you know, no one else is tried to insert this into the technology yet. To this date, a three-part failure mode does not exist in any CMMS product. Hard to believe, huh? I can't um, say that I didn't try. All the way back to my Kodak days, uh, we had our own internal CMMS that, that they called miscaps. And I, try, I pushed on them to say, all right, there's three parts to a failure. When I first learned about RCM, that was one of the more confusing things, you know, uh, uh, what is a failure mode? And the description that Nolan and Heap gave was very vague, right? Yeah. And so I, I said, all right, I'm looking at these and I'm, I'm learning about RCM. I've taken a couple of different courses and I start communicating with, with different people, uh, that were in the business, Mac Smith being one of them and saying, all right, Mac, if, if I wrote a failure more, I want, I'm going to show you a list that I've created. That's, that's got eight or 10. Tell me if everything that I've included there is a failure mode. So I sent that to him and he says, yeah, those are all failure modes. I said, so is it true that failure modes have three parts? And he says, well, you know, I'm not sure that that's always true. Right. Sometimes if you're going a high level, it might have two, you know, uh, um, the something, right? Something fails, right? And I, I'm always a person who wants to know why did it fail, right? 
And so he was the one that said to me, maybe you just put in there a random cause. I said, so it does have three parts then, right? And he kind of smiled at me. He goes, yeah, you're thinking, uh, uh, I, I like it, right? So that's really once I had that that kind of head nod, I went, okay, this is, you know, when I start doing my own material, that's what it's going to be. Um, and I know that Derek always liked it once I told it to him, and he was a, a student of Mulberry's. In fact, he's mentioned in John's book. So, yeah. All right, yeah. moving ahead. Yeah. yeah, go ahead. Moving ahead now, though. Uh, in terms of trying to change a reactive culture to a more uh, proactive culture or reliability-based culture, what are some of the things that you think are are most helpful in companies in making that transition? Well, all right. Now, uh, there's many experts in industry uh, uh, that can uh, talk for hours on this subject, and it's a deep subject. And so I do remind the audience that I'm, I'm talking from my CMMS uh, techie background, uh, uh, leveraging the knowledge I've acquired from experts like yourself. How's that? That's my intro. So now I've got uh, uh, 12, 10 or 12 point uh, list of things that any company can do to uh, reduce reactive maintenance or move from reactive to proactive. Um, the first thing you got to do is define reactive. Again, that's like failure mode. It's not obviously clear. Is it high priority work, which skips planning? Uh, is it any work performed outside the weekly schedule? Well, that's assuming you have a weekly schedule. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. All right. So number one, um, uh, capture a three-part failure mode on the work order. Now that in itself does not do anything, but it prepares you. It gives you the foundation for what we're going to do next. Um, uh, no, number two, um, I uh, create a priority matrix uh, uh, based upon several categories of work. Um, and then in the horizontal slice would be the uh, equipment criticality. You can get quite complex on that or just keep it to a simple one through five. But in either case, that gives you a matrix. And the result of it is a numerical, numerical value. And I call that thing the ranking, not the priority value but the ranking. So that's just sitting there in my right hand. So now let's say you wrote a new work order and you saved it right now. And um, it, so it starts going through the process that it, uh, it gets prioritized and so on. Perhaps it gets a rough estimate. Um, so every night at midnight, I can have a, a some, it's a, called a cron task. It automatically fires and applies the ranking to the entire backlog. Each night it overwrites itself. So now I've got the, the ranking. Um, again, this is a, a foundation bit of information that I'm going to use. And then step three is the automated resource leveled weekly schedule um, using that ranking. And um, okay, number four is the bad actor report. Now, uh, most everyone knows what that is, and you can produce a, a top 10 list of assets. Okay, fine. You're the reliability team, and you're looking at this. You just run the bad actor report, you're looking at the top 10. And then, and then what do you do? Well, wouldn't it be great if you could dynamically drill down on the three-part failure mode? Hey, no one's thought of this before, but it, sure it has a lot of value in my mind. Um, so now uh, number five is a reliability team. Not every organization has one. And so if they had 
a bad accurate report, who the heck are you giving it to? Was it the planner, the scheduler, uh, the maintenance manager? You sure would do better, be better off if you had a reliability team, a formal one that met uh, on a regular basis, maybe monthly or whatever. Um, coming back to the leaders uh, that I've met, uh, Winston Lede talked about defect elimination at the reliability web conferences. And if you had a defect elimination program in place at your organization, uh, that would help you become more proactive. And I know you're an expert in this area too. Um, capturing work order feedback, um, you, you can configure the CMS to do that. Well, what kind of feedback are we talking about? Well, you'd be surprised how much, you wouldn't, but how much uh, knowledge the uh, working level, the O&M techs have in their head. And so there's a operations guy who uh, complains about um, the, uh, his rounds uh, looking at the gauges and the meters that he's got to take readings on and um, and they're not very well placed they're real small they're at a distance they're on top of the tank um, then also you've got the um, the oil tank uh, level uh, uh, gauges uh, sometimes they're not clearly marked uh, they're not real visible and so on and so forth um, the, the maintenance guys uh, they might uh, express an issue associated with maintainability so access to the uh, particular asset um, to do the repair and the ability to quickly diagnose the problems. That's called maintainability. Um, and then you could actually uh, critique the, the work package that was created by the planner. Maybe the parts weren't identified that should have been. Um, the, this estimate was not long enough. Um, it was the, the, or the PM strategy could be incorrect altogether. Yeah. Um, oh, speaking of PMs, um, wouldn't it be the many sites are unable to defend their PM library and wouldn't it be great if you could uh, create a link, play, somehow place the failure mode that it's mitigating on the PM and then link it back to the, uh, the RCM analysis, which has the three part failure mode. Um, I do, uh, I forget what number I'm on now, but I do place the uh, suggest placing the RCM analysis that you do in Excel or whatever, upload that to an application in, in the CMMS. Um, and what's the advantage? Well, they, it's more likely that it will be refined and updated as new information comes in if it's right there in the system as opposed to an external uh, data set. Um, of course, precision maintenance skills uh, and knowledge by the staff is essential. And uh, when the operations rounds staff is doing their thing, you know, they need to be trained on what is a failure mode and what to look for and defects and so on so that they can communicate. Well, that, that's a, a list of things to help any organization move from reactive to proactive. Well, those are all good things. And I, I have to say that, uh, you know, when I, I listen to you and I hear uh, what you have to say, all that stuff makes sense. It also makes me say, uh, gosh, I wish we could go back 30 years and, and, yeah. and make some uh, some real changes that were uh, meaningful because companies still struggle with all those things you mentioned today, right? Uh, John, we have about run out of time and we're only about halfway through the list. So we probably will reschedule you okay. uh, sometime down the road to go through more of these things because I think you're a great resource for companies. Uh, every time uh, you and I talk or communicate in terms of uh, 
the conversations we've had back and forth on LinkedIn, I go, okay, I learned something again. I learned something else again. Uh, because it's easy for us, especially me, to sit back and, and say, why doesn't the planner do this? Why doesn't the scheduler do this? Why didn't the CMMS program include RCM, right? And understanding that those guys can't change that. And I know that that's been voiced to the Maximos and the SAPs of the world probably 100,000 times by now, right? And, and yet that vacancy still sits there. So anyway, John, it's been a pleasure talking to you today. Uh, we will reschedule and get another time slot with you. And uh, aside from that, this has been Doug Plucknet and the Leadership Connection. Have a great day.